Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so excited to get to share with you um, in the series called Turning Points. Um, it's been a really fun series looking at all these different biblical characteristics, or characters rather, um, about their encounter with God or their encounter with God's promises and how their life changed after that. Um, I'll start off, how many of you have had to take a detour? Let me rephrase the question. If you've been at UBC for more than a year and you've had to take a detour around to the building where you're supposed to be at, raise your hand. Okay, that's about the majority. I despise detours. Um, I've been biking quite a bit, and for a while, Northwest Marine Drive was completely blocked off because of this landslide. And me and some friends were biking down there. We're like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to like going downhill. It's oh, We're going to go to the beach. It's going to be wonderful. And then there was a detour. And it was at the like in the middle of the hill, so you're going pretty fast, and you're like, <laughs> and you're like, I make that sound because my brakes actually squeak. Um, but we get there, and we're like, oh, you have to detour, you have to go around the neighborhood instead. What they didn't tell us was that it was uphill. I don't like hills on a bike. I don't even like hills walking, but it's worse on a bike. Um, and so we had to go around the neighborhood, and it wasn't just a straight shot because all these different streets are going all these different directions. It took forever. It took at least twice as long to get to the beach <laughs> as it was before we set out. I also don't like Google. You know, she she doesn't, I say she. I have it in a British accent because I think it's fun. Um, but she always tells me to go with places that does not make sense in my brain. Maybe it's just because I'm directionally challenged. But she always takes the long way around, and I never understood that. So we find our characters in the story today taking a very long detour of where they're supposed to be, and it kind of snowballed into this history catastrophe, rather. Um, it introduces conflict not only in their family, but we're actually experiencing this conflict today in our present day. So a few weeks ago, we talked about Abraham and God's promise to him. Do you remember the promise? I will make your name great. I will, make you, I will give you descendants as numerous as the stars. So much so that you can't even count them. And yet Abraham and Sarah are like, okay, where are they? It's been, you know, 20 years now. Like, we're still here. We're still waiting. What's happening? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you waited such a long time for something you desperately wanted? How long did you have to wait? We live in, like, this fast food society where if we can't get it fast, we're going to look for something else. If the food delivery takes more than 10 minutes, I'm gonna go find another place to eat. Um, if it's not worth, if you can't fit it in a 15 second soundbite or less than 140 characters, it's not worth saying. Um, or you, maybe you've been in a hurry and it's so hard to be, in, or it's so easy to be impatient with God. You've been praying about something for a long time and nothing seems to be happening. God, I've been single for so long. What are you gonna send someone into my life? Um, what have I, I've been, God, I've been asking for relief from this illness for so long. When are you going to fix it? God, I've been waiting for you to repair this relationship. Why are you taking so long to change them? God, I've been waiting for this word for you about this job opportunity and it's been too long. God, I've been trying to get this degree but it's taking a lot longer than I expected. We are so increasingly impatient. Um, attention spans, I feel like, have decreased, especially since COVID. There's been scientific proof of this. 
Um, our attention span, again, 15 seconds. It just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And yet, we're still growing more impatient, impatient, impatient. So then, we rely on our own circumstances, or we look at the circumstances, and we rely on our own resources to make things happen. We wait for no one. Sermons get shorter, <laughs> lifespans get shorter. So do pastors. Um, when God doesn't perform, oh, some of you got that. <laughs> um, when God doesn't perform in nanoseconds, our impatience begins to show as our expectations go unfulfilled. Unfulfilled expectations are the worst. Um, but now we have this expectation versus relationship. Relationship operates in the here and now, while expectations are looking in the future. That's so good. I'm going to say that again. Relationships operate in the here and now, and expectations um, are looking toward the future. This is where Abraham and Sarah are at in our story today. They're looking for this promise in the future, they're waiting for that expectation, and they're missing out on the relationship with them right here. Um, they're looking, and it gets really messy in that waiting period. They're in this, this long waiting period, and it gets messy. They're tired of waiting, and they want to take a detour. So with that in mind, we're going to read Genesis 16. You'll turn, turn in your Bible. Yeah, some of you use paper Bibles. Or scroll on your screen. We'll also have it on the screen for you. But Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed what Sarai said. So after Abram had living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah took his, uh, took his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arm and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that was beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, Hagar answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is why the well is called Bir Laham Roy, and it is still there between Kadesh and Barid. So Hagar bore Abram a son, a 
and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Life is messy. What is going on here? Uh, so we have three characters' experiences described in this narrative. I will give the preference. It is a narrative. It is a story in this long, arching story of Scripture. This is just a little bit of that whole story. And it is a narrative, which means it describes an event instead of prescribes an event. Um, so don't rush the application. Let's kind of sit with it. We're going to sit in the messiness for just a little bit and dig through and see what we can find. So this is a snapshot or a, a little time lapse or a, or a thumbnail in this whole story that we've been talking about. God's promise to Abraham. He's been waiting. Um, he's, he was prophesying for what was going to happen for future generations. Even though Abram was so old and he's like, my biological clock is ticking. Why are you waiting so long to fulfill this? So we have Abram, Sarai, and um, Ishmael, well, Hagar, and then Ishmael, but the three characters we're going to look at are Abram, Sarah, and Ishmael. So who are they? What do we know? Let's look at the family. There's lots of different dynamics at play. So there's three characters and lots of dynamics. So let's take them apart. We have Abram. What do we know about Abram? He is the father of his nation. He's this man of God that has so much faith in who God is. Um, he's married to... Sarah, yeah. Her name does change. It gets very confusing if you know part of the other story. It's Abraham and Sarah is how what we know them as. This was before the name changed. So Abram and Sarah. Um, she was the wife of the house. She was the woman of the house. She had a lot of power and influence in her whole family. Um, she was old, very old. I imagine her like in a, in a grandma state. Like I imagine her with like gray hair and kind of, you know, hunched over, I don't know why. Most grandmas I feel like are hunched over, I don't know. Um, but like I imagined her just very old and people were like, I don't, I don't see her being a mom. That's, she's like a mom to everybody, but I don't know. She's past the point of childbearing, so much so that she's getting shamed for it. Um, she's moody. <laughs> um, she can't make up her mind, she, or she does make up her mind. She's very assertive. Um, she comes up with a solution to what she perceives as a problem. Um, and she's abusive. Um, then we have Hagar, her Egyptian slave. Um, she, it's mentioned several times she's from Egypt. So if you look back a couple chapters, um, Abram and Sarah are called to go out of the land. Remember, God calls them, go to this land that I will show you. And they pack up and they go. Um, but on their way, there's a famine and they end up in Egypt. And this is where they probably encountered or um, got picked up Hagar there. So she could have come from Pharaoh's house, we don't know. Um, but this is where she's from. She's from Egypt. She's young. She's a young slave. She's a young servant girl. Um, she's brought into Abram's house. And it's very clear that she works or serves Sarah, her mistress. Um, she, she doesn't relatively have any rights. She is a servant of Sarah. She does in everything that Sarah, Sarah um, tells her. Um, she has no rights, no power, no influence, limited resources. Um, her, and yet her, some of her needs are met because she's taken care of, she's protected by this family. Um, she's under their umbrella, so to speak. So what's the problem here? Um, who is going to carry on the family line? They're old, they're about to die out. Their, their family's name, the thing that God promised the most is not happening. So what are we gonna do about it? 
And Sarah, being the woman of influence that she is, she's like, we need to do something about this. Here, I'll give you my slave. Well, she proposes that um, Hagar be given to Abraham to produce an heir on her behalf. That sounds weird, but this is a an ancient custom that had been practiced for hundreds of years up until this point, and it was widely accepted. And um, so Hagar becomes the surrogate mother of um, Ishmael, of Abraham's offspring. So now that's the family dynamic. Then we see this power dynamic where Sarah is determined to make something happen. Nothing is happening fast enough for her. Her faith may still be in the promise of God, but she's looking at her circumstances and decides it's not looking great. Her faith falters and she focuses more on circumstances than her God and uses people for her own gain. Ouch. When we take our eyes off of God, we think we have to figure everything out on our own. And it's easy to use others as resources than human beings that God created them to be. The church has messed this up. We have messed this up. God forgive us. Let me ask you this. In what ways are we focusing more on receiving from God or what we think he has promised us than seeing the person right in front of us? Sometimes we're too focused on the promise rather than the person in front of us. Focused on the gift instead of the giver. In what ways are we still holding on to the things that others have done to us? Inside and outside the church. Hagar, I think, had a natural human response. When she finds out she's pregnant, she loses all respect for Sarah. She... Um, she also sees this as an opportunity to gain favor or power in the family. She's carrying the heir to the family. Um, she attempts to use this position to put Sarah in her place. I don't blame her. She's mistreated, so she flees. I've had enough, I'm out of here. She runs from this conflict. She, she travels toward Egypt, which is where she came from. She's going home. She's going to what she knows that's familiar. But then she comes to, on the road, she's traveling about a week, if we look at the geography of where Shur is, it's on the road to Egypt, she finds this well, and she, so she's been traveling about a week alone, pregnant, in the desert, and she comes in contact with this angel, or this messenger of the Lord, and what does he say to her? Where did you come from, and where are you going? I can't, I can't not think of that song when I read that. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Okay, some of you know. Um, <laughs> but she only answers, I think it's interesting, she only answers the first question. Where did you come from? She doesn't answer, where are you going? She's lost. She has no idea. She, it's probably been it's several years since they left Egypt. She's hoping to go back to something that's familiar, that they'll receive her. Um, but she just decides to answer the first question. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. So if you look in like verse uh, 9 through 10, she says, The angel of the Lord, go back to your mistress. He, he provides direction for her and validation. He hears what she has to say. She said, he, The angel of the Lord says, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. And then he adds, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. 
you are now pregnant, you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. That's a great promise. <laughs> your child's going to be a troublemaker. Awesome. <laughs> so I heard this quote from Louis Giglio. He's an author, speaker, and a and a pastor, and it says, it does not matter whether you are in the plan, you messed up the plan, or whether other people have hijacked the plan, God will still speak to you. Hagar realizes how powerful this moment is. She, a servant girl, is speaking with the messenger of the living God. She calls him Adonai Eloi, the God who sees and watches over me. He's not just this God who speaks to mighty men, but to a woman with no position. Not only that, God extended his promise to her and her unborn child. He makes provision for her. God always, always, always fulfills his promises. His plan always wins. But he also makes provision for those outside of that covenant. He sees those who feel like they are living in the margins of this story. Do we? This is such good news. That even though you may um, have had no concept of God or have a little bit, or have had some faith background or not, God sees you. Adonai Oloi reminds us of the God who knows everything about us. David describes this in this way. I'm going to read Psalm 139. I just really want you to see. You can insert your name in the you. God sees you. God sees me. It's a really powerful way to read it. But even just the title is like, Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is a, this is a psalm that David writes about this. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted in all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too high I cannot attain. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my dead in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness has covered, shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. 
If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know me. Try me and know my thoughts. I see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. This, this is David's God. This is Hagar's God. This is our God. The all-knowing, all-seeing God who watches over us day and night. If you've ever been tempted to believe that no one cares about you, I encourage you to revise those thoughts in light of this song. It's a great reminder. We serve a God that takes horribly broken situations and turns them into beautiful moments of closeness with him. In order to experience the fullness of God, it requires faith. Not in our circumstances. Hagar's circumstances didn't look the greatest. Not in our circumstances, but in the God and the truth of who he is. A professor of mine used to give this um, definition of faith, and he would make us write it out multiple times. Um, but it's so ingrained in me. It's been so helpful in my walk with the Lord. It says, faith is choosing to believe what the Bible says to be true, regardless of circumstances, emotions, or cultural trends. I'm going to say that again. Faith is choosing to believe what the Bible says is true, what God says is true, regardless of circumstances I found myself in, regardless of how I feel about those circumstances, and regardless of what culture tries to tell me. Or as Hebrew puts it, verse, uh, chapter 11, 1, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. It's saying, God, my faith is in you and not what I can see. So friends, faith is not easy. It calls for persistence, which is against common sense. It calls for believing in a gift from God, which none of the present data can substantiate. So we have um, family dynamics. We have um, power dynamics. We also have a faith dynamic of these characters. Abram believed in God's promise that he's going to have a son. God did not specifically say who the mother was going to be. I thought that was very interesting. So in Abraham's mind, he might as well was like, oh yeah, this is how God's going to provide for this covenant. I'm going to sleep with Hagar, and she's going to have a son. <laughs> He's still in my family. I have a son. Um, so then everything gets the fan, and his wife blows up at him and blames him for this. And he throws his hands up and says, do what you want with her. And then Sarai, she's also believing in the promise of God that they will have a son. Um, she, her faith is in a God who keeps promises, but she's still dependent on her own resources and knowledge about this up until conflict. <laughs> and it ended up in conflict. And then Hagar, even though she found herself in a horrible circumstance, she encounters God and responds in faith, proclaiming God for who he is, and then she goes back to the family as a testimony to Abraham and Sarah. She stays with them for 13 years. 
The thing about this, though, even though that we have weak faith, God still uses us in his story. In Hebrews 11, if you continue, the writer comments on their faith in God's covenant promise. The whole purpose was God's covenant promise. And they get to meet God in that. So I want to ask you, can you relate to any of the characters in this story? Maybe you're Abraham and you're seeing evidence of faith in your life or you're starting to develop that. Um, maybe you have faith in his plan, but things are not looking like the way you thought they would. Um, COVID interrupted your plans. Um, jobs interrupted your plans. Family conflict interrupted your plans. Um, you thought you would have aced that class. You thought you would have finished that degree already. You thought you would have been married by now. You start to consider other options, or did I miss it, God? What's happening? Or maybe you're Sarah, and you feel like you've been judged by others for what you what should have happened already. Or you have everything except what you want the most. And you will do whatever it takes to get it. You depend on your own resources to get where you need to be. And your actions are justified because the it just feels right. You make your own decisions and you end up further than where you started. Or maybe you're Hagar when you find yourself in a very tough situation and things seem to be getting worse. You feel like you're living in the margins and not on part of the main story. Maybe you feel bruised from being used to accomplish someone else's purpose. If so, there's hope. The whole part of the story, Jesus actually is part of that covenant promise, and he brings a new covenant, and he gives us another opportunity um, to repair that and to live in freedom from those things. That Jesus, in this Jesus, that he gave his life for all, and he gave his life for you. And just like Hagar's experience in the desert, you too can meet this God. So we're going to talk to God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Um, but I want to give you some time to just sit and reflect on this. Which character you recognize most? Where are you in your faith journey? Are, maybe there's some things that you um, have been holding against others um, about things that have been done to you. But I encourage you to respond to him. Things that he has been putting on your heart. Things that you, in areas in your faith where you want to grow. In area, confess areas of your faith that you're depending more on your circumstances and your resources than God who gives them. Um, maybe you're feeling like no one cares. And again, I encourage you to reread Psalm 139 this week to be reminded of this God who cares and sees you. So as we pray, we're gonna, after we pray, we're going to sing together. Don't rush it. You can sit there. Ask the Lord, what is, what is he speaking to you about? What is he putting on your heart? Because he does speak if you listen. Father God, I thank you for this time that we've had together today. I thank you, God, that you are a God who sees us. That you see us in our present circumstances. You know the condition of our hearts. You know the words before we even think them. Show us ways or places in our lives that we're depending more on ourselves than you. 
God, we surrender that lordship to you, that we are no longer lord or in control of our lives, but we surrender that control.